First of all, Paiskim Bechvayd Asanya. I'm very blessed to have a relationship with the Epsteins for many years, depending on how you count it. And I count it uh, as 12 years. So it's a very long time. So to be in this place after this uh, long and beautiful journey is still in its infant stages. It's a privilege to share words of Tyra here in this home. I'm given to understand, and I'm, I'm open to hearing more, to learning about this, but I'm given to understand that different Yamim Tovim have different triggers for women. And I understand more or less, I think, the things around Pesach. But from what I understand, there are also things around Shavuos. I've learned this. And, and it seems to me in the very unscientific, imprecise poll that I did, that there are a variety of different uh, issues that come up for women around Shavuos, uh, particularly the issue of my husband goes out all night and then sleeps the entire next day where I'm home with the kids, but I can't be home because the kids can't make noise because he's sleeping. <laughs> are you familiar with this, uh, this yeah. trigger point? Yeah. <laughs> no, there are, I, got, I got others also. I've, I've been paying very careful attention. It seems to me also there's a, a very reasonable, very uncomfortable feeling of I don't feel like I have a place in this yantif, which is sort of an interesting thing because the whole whole notion of Shavuos is that it didn't have any, it doesn't have any minhagam attached to it. And then we, we made this very beautiful minhag of staying up all night, and then afterwards people were like, well, we don't get to do that. But it never really existed, meaning the notion of Shavuos was just a simple yantif of everyone can come and be as they are on this yantif. It's unlike Pesach in that it has matzah, and it's unlike Rosh Hashanah in that it has shofar. It's uh, by its very nature, it seems to be a yantif that doesn't really come with anything. So we've created a, some challenging issues around it in today's day and age. And I, I can understand that people have different triggers around this. Um, I feel particularly badly for, for my wife because we go to yeshiva and she stays in a very, very small little apartment. And so the challenge of really not having anywhere to be is particularly piquant. But um, I, I hope that tonight not, will not at all be a solution to any of the challenges that you have, but I hope that we can share some words of Tyre that I think speak to, really of course to all people, but I think speak particularly to the role of women in Tyre. And let's know it, not as much to the men. And this is something that we hope you can uh, share with your husbands. Do you want to hear something funny, Mrs. Lubat? Yeah. We did it again. What? Oh well, no, it's not. I couldn't hear it. I wasn't right there. But this time it's it my fault. <laughs> this time it's my fault. I was running so fast today, I sent you the wrong shear. Baruch Hashem. <laughs> this time it's yeah. my fault. Like I'm going to have to ask no, 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 no. We did it again. There's something. There's some kitschig in Shemayim when it comes to this shear. But anyway. Hashem, I have the notes in front of me. <laughs> the Gemara Nidarim, a well-known Gemara, a Gemara that you know. If you don't know it, it's a very beautiful Gemara. The Gemara says, Ravina expressed the following idea. Why is it 
that Talmidei Chachamim very often do not have children that become Talmidei Chachamim. It's uh, otherwise known as Rabbi's Son Syndrome. You know this, uh, did you grow up with a rabbi who had an orthodox kid? As everyone does. It's like, uh, what do they say, a school for children going off the derech is if your father's a rabbi and your mother's a therapist. Like that's the, uh, my wife's a therapist. <laughs> my kids have no shot, Mar Hashem. <laughs> the Gemara doesn't accept that as a reasonable answer. The Gemara says, Ravina Aymer, the Gemara lists many reasons, but Ravina says, She'ein mevarchem betarat chila. That tamidei chachamim that do not make a bracha, berchas hatara, before they learn, those are the children that don't become tamidei chachamim. Which by itself is a very strange thing. We'll see in su- we'll soon see. The Gemara continues and it says, "The Amr of Yehuda, Amr Rav, my dechsev mi ha'esh ha'chacham ve'yaven azayis. Who is the man who is wise enough to understand this? This meaning the destruction of the base of Mikdash. What was the cause for the destruction of the base of Mikdash? We all know what the cause was for the destruction of the base of Mikdash. What was the cause? It's the first base of Mikdash. It's the Gemul Hamuros." If it's the second Beis HaMikdash, so then the second Beis HaMikdash was because of Sinashinam. The Gemara says, They asked the Chachamim, they asked the Nevi'im, nobody was able to explain why the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed. Until Hashem himself answered the question, which is, of course, already very strange, that the Chachamim couldn't figure it out, the Nevi'im couldn't figure it out. HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself comes and he explains, as it says in the Pasuk, Vayemer Hashem al-ozvam es-tayrasi, because they have abandoned my Torah. Hainu lo shama b'kaili, hainu lo halchuba. They didn't listen to my voice, they didn't walk in its ways. So if we stop learning the Gemara at this point, we would have heard that why did we merit the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash? Because we abandoned Hashem's Torah, we didn't listen to Hashem's voice, we didn't walk in His ways. This is serious accusations. Amr of Yehuda, Amr Rav, of Yehuda says in the name of Rav, what do all these things mean? She'ein mevarchin b'tayra t'chila. Because we did not make a berchas first. So this, this is a very, very strange Gemara. There's a number of questions that we have on this Gemara. First of all, Tamidei Chachamim don't merit to have children who become Tamidei Chachamim because they're not making a bracha? That sounds like a very intense consequence. I mean, I'm not even sure technically how it would work out. Like the child doesn't see the father making a bracha. Maybe he's not awake. Like what does that mean? What's how is it like a like a kabbalistic thing? If you don't make a bracha, somehow it doesn't get transmitted. What exactly does the Gemara mean over here? And also, it seems like a very strange thing, bchalal, because what type of tamuchacham doesn't make a bracha satara? I don't know. Rav Eisenstein is the rav here. Is that we we that we, and is that like a controversial thing? I just said I don't want to like step in. <laughs> He's the Rav in Mishkafayim, and we're still working on our identity, and hey, so we're not sure exactly where we stand. We're kind of waiting to see how it plays out. Okay, Besaider, I understand. So, let's just take Rav Eisenstein. Is there anybody here that doesn't believe Rav Eisenstein makes a Birch It's like a strange thing. What type of Tamil doesn't make a Birch in the morning? person sits all, and he learns, he can't stay. Birch is not like, I understand if someone says, like, I can't say Tachna. Tachna is very long. Birch is, it's, it's 
30 seconds. What does it take to make up Birchus already? The whole thing is a very strange thing. The second question we have is the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed because of the Gemul Hamuros. So we know what we're talking about over here. So what's the Gemara saying? So that's called the reason for the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. No, it's not. We know the reason. So what's the Gemara talking about? There's another diuk in the Gemara here, which I think is very important. This doesn't say, Shlo berchu al hatayra. Right? When you make a bracha, you make a bracha al something. Right? It says, Shlo berchu bitayra tchila. They make a bracha in the tayra. What is that language? Shlo berchu bitayra tchila. Another question is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu needed to come and answer this himself. Meaning, if we have a generation of people that are not making a berchus hatayra, the Nevi'im should have been able to discern this. The Chachamim should have been able to discern this. No, HaKadosh Baruch Hu Bechvayda needs to come to explain. And another thing, if you go back to the actual Gemara itself, the Gemara says very intense things. The Gemara posts the Psukim, they didn't walk in my ways. These are Tamid Chachamim. They're learning Torah all day. So, what does it mean? They abandoned my Torah? Well, they didn't make a bracha. They didn't abandon your Torah. There's people who are learning Torah all day. I imagine they did every other mitzvah. So, what does it mean? That because that's called. That we were that we abandoned the Kaddish Baruch Hu's Torah, Lashama Bekaili, we didn't listen to his voice. That's a very extreme thing. That's like um, I don't mean to say it like this, but it's sometimes the way teenagers talk. You know what I'm saying? Like, I have no friends. You have no friends. I have two friends. You have two friends. I have five friends, and I trust two of them. I mean, it's like okay, but say that. Like, let's like understand what we're talking about over here. So just on the Gemara alone, we have many, many questions. If you look in Shulchan Aruch, the Shulchan Aruch says that a person has to be very careful when it comes to reciting <coughs> Berchaz This is like a very important thing. Ostensibly, it's from this Gemara. You have to be very careful to recite Berchaz And if you look at the Mishnah Bura, he, he's medayik, that the Shulchan Aruch says that you have to be very careful to teach us that a person has to make the bracha of Berchaz with great simcha, he says, and that we have to express our Akazar to Hashem, that we're the chosen nation, and that we are desired by Hashem. That's what the Mishnah Bura says. So this is, these are very intense kavanos for a bracha. As a person has to recognize that I was chosen by HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that I'm beloved by HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and you have to make the bracha with great simcha. This is what, it's, this is what the Shulchan Aruch means. I understand it's an important bracha. But it's, it's a bracha zatar. Like, where do we get this idea from? So it seems like very, very intense. And if we continue just to unpack the idea of bracha zatar, we also see that there's only two brachos in the Torah that are midaraisa. What's the other one, aside from Berchaz HaTorah? Benching. The Mesha Chachma points out that there's a difference between benching and Berchaz HaTorah. When do we bench? We bench after we eat. We make a Berchaz HaTorah before we, before we learn. In the morning, we make a Berchaz HaTorah. So we have to ask ourselves a question, what's the difference between these two brachas? Meaning either I should bench before I eat, or I should make a Berchaz HaTorah at the end of learning. At the end of this year, we should all get up. We should make a nice Berchaz on the on the on the Torah that we just learned. That's what we do when we bench. So there's a, a kash. The Meshachachma asks, why do we see that it's switched? Bechlal, there's a question that Rasalavechik asks. Many, many ask this question. <coughs> why don't we have to make a, a continuing Berchaz throughout the day? Let's say, for example, I eat. I'm finished eating. I have to make a new bracha. When it comes to Berchaz we make a Berchaz in the morning, and that lasts us for the entire day. 
Why? Why is that? Why don't you have to make a continuous Brechzatara? So I want to share with you a, uh, a Ran. The Ran brings the Rabbeinu Yonah. I have it here in English. I'm going to read it to you in English. A stunning, stunning, stunning Rabbeinu Yonah. He says, I found a hidden scroll of Rabbeinu Yonah. This is what the Ran said. He found a hidden scroll of the Rabbeinu Yonah. That the Torah specified that because of Shalom Berchu Batarachila, so we lost we lost the land, because it is correct that the meaning, because of their forsaking my Torah, is as it sounds, that they forsake the Torah and they did not occupy themselves with it. So he asked this question, I'm sorry, then when the Chacham, why were the Chacham and the Vim not able to explain it? So he says it's an obvious matter. Rather, they certainly always occupied themselves with Torah, and hence the Chacham and the Nevi'im could not understand why the land was lost. In other words, to stop here just for a moment, in the times of the destruction of the first Beis HaMikdash, they were learning a tremendous amount of Torah. And the reason why the Chachamim and the Nevi'im were not able to understand what was going on is because when they looked at the people, they said, are they learning Torah? They said, what do you mean? Yeshivas are flourishing, shuls are open, Dafyomis, Eli Stefanski, everybody was learning Torah in the times of the first Beis HaMikdash. I'm just happy because uh, Merkaz Dafyomi is on my block, so my real estate is like through the roof because everybody wants to like make Aliyah, who's like from his Chabur, the 13,000 people. I have nowhere to move though, so it doesn't really help me. You all know the problem, right? Your, your real estate went up, you're like, where are we going? It's okay, welcome to the club. So what happened? He says, until HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself explained that he knows the heart's deep secrets. That is, the Torah was not all that important to them, that it was deserving of reciting a blessing over it. They didn't occupy themselves with it, Lishma, and as a result, they would scorn its blessings. That's what he says, the Rabbi Yonah. His people sat and learned Torah all day, and it meant nothing to them. It meant nothing to them. They didn't make a bracha over it because like, it's not a it's not a it's not a heiliger thing. It's not a it's not a holy endeavor. It's an intellectual pursuit. It's a schmack thing to do. It's a communal thing. But that it should mean something to me. That I should learn a lishma. That I should be connected to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. They didn't. That they didn't have. In other words, according to its intentions and lishma, these are the words of Rav Chassid. And they are pleasing and worthy of the one who said them. This is what the Ran says in the name of the Rabbi Nuyona. You know, I want to share with you something I heard many years ago. Something that we've lost. There's a, a fellow in the neighborhood, his name is Seth Grossman. Some of your husbands may play ball with him. Seth Grossman. What was that? Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. He's a, he's a Gishmaka guy. He said, many years ago I heard this from him, that he was giving a Dafyaymi Shir in Florida... And who goes to a Dafyomi Shir in Florida, especially you're talking about 25 years ago? It was elderly people. It used to be, I don't know if you know this, it used to be young people didn't live in Florida. <laughs> Today, Rav Ephraim Goldberg made Florida a destination only secondary to Israel. It's like you have that choice if you're living in New York now, should I make Aliyah or go to Boca? I don't know, I could get $8,000 per kid or I could get free tuition. I don't understand why people aren't making Aliyah more, but okay, to say there. So he took over a Dafyomi. And he started saying over a Rashi, and an elderly man in the audience got very upset. And he said, stop, you're saying Rashi wrong. And he was like, he didn't, know what he, he didn't know what he did wrong, he knew the Rashi. He said, you don't start reading Rashi without saying, Zak Rashi. 
used to be that when a person learned from his Rebbeim, there was a Kedusha there. Zak Tehil Garashi. This is what Holy Rashi says. When I was growing up, a, a young boy in Yeshiva Darche Torah in Farakoy, I came first from Hafter, and Torah was taught in a certain type of way in Hafter, and then I went to Darche. The transition, for those of you that know Hafter and Darche, anyone here know Hafter and Darche? Yeah. So the transition from Hafter to Darche, <coughs> how should we say this nicely? It's one Yiddishkeit expressed in very different ways. That's one Ebishter expressed in very different ways. And, and you're walking through the halls of Darche as a little boy, and your Rebbeim are saying, Zak the Garashi, and I never heard of Helega before. You know, I, didn't, I didn't know who that was. I barely just started learning Rashi. But there was, there was a Hashiva Satar. There was something in the air that was different. It wasn't just Torah as a subject. It was a lifestyle. It was it was a it was dripping off the lips of my rebbeim. And Befrat, I had one rebbe. I had, I had wonderful four rebbeim and darche. I had one rebbe plus Rabbi Bender. I had one rebbe that was a kadosh elyon. Have any of you heard of Rabbi Mordechai Finkelman? Have you heard him on Torah anytime? He's a chassidish guy. Comes from a modern Orthodox family. And uh, so he was able very, very much to relate to who I was as a kid. And to see him daven is to see what it looks like for a malach to daven in Shemayim. I don't know how Rabbi Finkelman ended up on this earth. Everyone who has met him is convinced that somehow the neshamas got mixed up. And a malach is living on this world. Ad-Kedekach, that the 8th grade Rebbe in Darche, I once saw with my own eyes, got down on all fours and kissed the ground that Rabbi Finkelman davened on. He kissed the ground. No, I have no idea why he did that. <laughs> but as an eighth grader, I understood it was a very big thing that he was doing. Rabbi Finkelman today, he was my seventh grade Rebbe. Today he's a mashkiach of a yeshiva called Archaim in Queens. And he is the sweetest, gentlest, kindest man you'll ever meet. And we, Pasha, didn't learn a word from him. We ran all over him the entire year. <laughs> but if you see him daven, he's talking Tasha. He's, there's, there's, there's a relationship that he has with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and it was very obvious to us that learning Torah from him was learning the Torah that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave over to Klal Yisrael. In fact, I remember he used to tell us, trust your parents and trust your Rebbeim. He was in seventh grade and he would say it, but not in like an angry way. He would say it in like a very beautiful way. Like, trust your parents and trust your Rebbeim. We love you. We're not lying to you. And what was the Muslim? Why did he want us so badly to trust our Rebbeim? Because there's such a thing called Messiah. And if you don't trust your Rebbeim and you don't trust your parents, then you think, my parents are lying to me. It's like, what type of parent would lie to their child that the Torah came from Hasanah? So there was like in the in the classroom there was like a real of course we trusted Roy Finkelman he would never he could never lie but that but he had like a, a sense of like there's a rabbinicalism in this classroom and we're living in a door today that is fighting for making a berchasatayra what I mean to say is learning Torah we have plenty of we have. Uh, Stefanski tells me he has over 13,000 people a day listening to his Dafyomi. 13,000 people a day is an enormous number. They have bad jokes. I want you to know I'm with you. I thought you were going to take a cookie. No, sorry. No, I, 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 I admire the vulnerability of being a person who comes and takes a cookie. No. It's, it's, I, 
If I, you want, though, um, no, no, I no, no, no. I can, I can only talk about the vulnerability. I can't live it. It's a whole different thing. When you give the shir, you don't have to actually practice what you preach. <laughs> uh, we, we know each other a very long time, so it's yeah. okay. Thank you. I have no idea what I was saying. I got so excited by the vulnerability of the cookie. Uh, we live in a generation of people that are... They make these bad jokes. You ever hear these bad jokes? They talk about, like... How many people are learning in Mir? I'm not even going to say the punchline of the joke. They have like all these silly jokes. You know how many people are learning in Mir Yeshiva? It's like 10,000 Bachram today in Mir Yeshiva. You go to Bnei Brak, the streets of Bnei Brak, Baruch Hashem, the streets of Beit Shemesh. People are learning a massive amount of Torah. The Yeshivas today in America, it's amazing. And at the same time, we're, we're also living in a door of, of not only children, but adults, men and women who of course were saying the words nobody's not nobody's not saying Torah. nobody's not making a bracha in the morning we're making brachas in the morning but to feel connected to the Eberster's Torah it is so exceptionally difficult you should know in yeshivas it's a real thing I think it's less so in the seminaries but I'm not sure but in yeshivas it's a real thing that there's a there's a there's a fight there's an ego that's involved in yeshiva. I don't know if you know, there's an ego. Who's the top guy? It's the guy who understands shir the best, the guy that gets to learn with the Rebbe Bechavrusa, the guy that gives to give the Chazara shir. There's a shtaltz in yeshiva, and it's possible for a person to lose themselves completely to the gaifa of learning Torah. It's possible. And other Rebbe, and I don't want to say anything bad about Klai but it's an important topic to talk about. Sometimes those boys are rewarded, whether it's in covered from the Rebbe, covered from each other, Shaduchim, right? Remember when you were looking into your husbands? <coughs> he's, a, he's a good boy, he's a top boy, he's a serious learner. These are words, excuse me, that we use to talk about boys. So it's very possible for a person to be learning Torah and to be deeply disconnected. Aside from just the intellectual stimulation of it, which is no small matter. Ravasher Weiss has a good diak in our Gemara. We're privileged to live in a generation with Ravasher Weiss. You know, it's like, we'll tell our kids, yeah. <clears throat> Ravasher Weiss was our person. He says, Shalobercho Batara Tchila. Father, they made a Berch Torah, but they didn't make one first. They said it afterwards. What's the difference between a person that says a bracha beforehand and afterwards? So it goes to the Meshachachma that we brought up earlier. Before a person eats, they're hungry. You don't need a bracha then. You're excited to eat. When you're satisfied and you're done and you're about to walk away from the table, the Torah tells us, stop and consider what you just did and where it came from. As we're leaving, with Torah, it's the exact opposite. With Torah, if you make a bracha afterwards, you're making a bracha on the gishmak of Torah. By making a bracha beforehand, when you haven't learned anything yet, you're recognizing the godliness of Torah. That's what our job is. Our job is to recognize the godliness of Torah. Children who don't see their parents 
is a harsh thing what I'm going to say. I wouldn't say it on my own. Children who don't see the godliness in their parents, who don't see HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the home, they're not as interested. Yeah, my father's a big Tamachachim. What's that got to do with me? Maybe I'm not as Matzliach in Yeshiva. I won't say his name, because it's not a nice thing to say, but there was a certain Gadol Hadar. A Gadol Hadar. There's a difference between Gadol Batar and a Gadol Hadar. There's a Gadol Hadar who had a child who did not follow in his father's footsteps, to say the least. And this Gadol Hadar said about himself, again, I wouldn't, I, I know it on good authority, I'm not saying the Gadol's name, I don't know if I have Rishos to say it publicly, this Gadol Hadar said about himself, my mistake was that at the Shabbos table I said over Rambams and I didn't sing Shabbos Miros. And if my child went in the way that he did, it was because I didn't sing Shabbos Miros at the table and I said over Rambams. Meaning, a tremendous Tamachachim for sure, and I'm sure the Torah that he said over, I'm sure all the Talmidim in his yeshiva would have given anything to be at that Shabbos table. I'm sure that right away after Shabbos they would have gone, they would have written up every word of Torah that he said, right? It would have been unbelievable svarim that would have come out from the Rambams that he said over his Shabbos table. But a kid needs to see us close our eyes and sing Ka'achsof. A kid needs to see a Gishmak at a Shabbos table. A child needs to see laughter at a Shabbos table. He's Simcha at a Shabbos table. You know, sometimes I think we think that a Shabbos table has to be like this, like, like we shouldn't waste words at the Shabbos table or say the wrong thing. A Shabbos table needs to be a place where people are having a good time. That should be the way that we raise our children. Like, what happens at a Shabbos table? Abba makes Ima laugh at a Shabbos table. You know, that there's, that there's, that there's covered given for each other at a Shabbos table. Who, if a kid doesn't want to keep Shabbos, it's like, why would you not want to keep Shabbos? Um, because I'm bored and I want to be on my phone. Yeah, but like, what went wrong before that? You're bored, you want to be on your phone. I understand. I, I, we, were, we were all bored. Remember, do you remember when we were bored also Shabbos afternoon? So we're not so much older than these kids. What happened? Is Shabbos didn't get longer. It's the same three, four hour Shabbos afternoons. So you'll say they don't know how to play with each other. They don't want to hang out at each other's houses. They're not used to looking at each other in the face. Everyone has their time as well. It's, it's, much, it, it's much before that. Shabbos is awesome. Shabbos was awesome when we were growing up. Okay, we weren't always the frumest kids. We didn't always do the right thing. But Shabbos was a place where you had a fun time. I'll tell you, I'm very blessed. I really grew up in a very wonderful family. I didn't always know that. But Baruch Hashem, I really grew up in a very wonderful family. And my father and mother are both Bali Tshuva. And my father never went to yeshiva in his life. Never went to yeshiva. He never had the opportunity. So I grew up, and my father used to say, a little learning never hurts, so let's learn as little as possible. This is my rebellion. And my mother is running to shiurim every single minute. If you ever see my mother, I promise you, you've only seen her at a shir. That's what she does. It's like a joke in, uh, in my house that somebody sent in a, a wedding invitation. You know, they used to have wedding invitations, remember? <laughs> so somebody sent a wedding invitation and it had an RSVP card in it. And my father hung it up on the door and it said, Mitch is not coming. That's my father's name. Paula is coming and she wants to know if there'll be a shir. Like, that's what's on, that's like my mother. My father, not so much. My mother is like running. She's insatiable. She cannot get enough tire inside of her. But I had a friend growing up whose father said over Rambams at the Shabbos table. It wasn't Rambams, but it was Rambams, you know what I mean? And he, uh, he, he ran away from it. He pushed it, ran away from it. He used to, on Shabbos morning, he used to come in and he used to say to me, 
can you please invite me over to your house for lunch? I just don't want to be home. Because if I'm home, my father's going to make me learn with him afterwards, and I don't want to be learning with him afterwards. By the way, this guy wasn't a smart guy. It was painful for him to learn. He didn't know what was going on. So I used to go to my father. Could we have him for lunch? And I would say about 60% of the time we had him for lunch. And if not, he would say to me, you have to end lunch early and come pick me up so that I don't have to learn with my father. And I'm telling you, I would be over with lunch, and my father would say, no, you got to go. you got to go pick him up. Like, you got to save him from that learning. The problem wasn't the learning. The problem was that it was, it was cold, and there was a lack of, there was a lack of simcha. There was a lack of a locus at the Shabbos table. It wasn't the learning. It wasn't the learning. His father used to give him, like, mivzam. He used to get, like, money. And uh, when we were younger, his father used to give bakery cookies. I started staying for the learning because I liked the cookies. But the, uh, but... There, there was a gishmak entire. There was, there was, a, there was a rabbanish shalom there. Tell me there, Amchal say, lo rov lo lechem v'loit samalamayim ki l'mashmayis devar Hashem. In the times of Mashiach, we won't be hungry or thirsty for bread or water. We'll have plenty of tyra. You go to, you go to dafyomi siyumim. You'll see hundreds of thousands of Jews learning dafyomi. Yeshivas, they can't open up yeshivas fast enough. Do you know that? They cannot open up yeshivas fast enough. Seminaries, for sure. If you open up a seminary in the yeshivish world, it will be full within the first 30 seconds of opening. A hundred girls at a time. It's amazing. The Olamatar is growing like crazy. And what are people thirsty for? They're thirsty for Divrei Hashem. Because it's possible for us to learn Torah and not have what very often, I don't mean to put it on you, but what very often the mothers bring to a home. Which is... It's the father might know the halacha, and the father might say over the bar Torah at the Shabbos table, but there's Shmabani Musaravicha Valtitash Tairas Imecha. The Torah belongs to women. The Musar belongs to the father. There's a Messiah. The father comes with a Messiah and he says, This is what my Rebbe learned, this is what my Rebbe told me. I asked this Shiloh, this is what we do. But there's what we do and there's what we are. And that very often comes from the women of the home. You know, it, it, it's taka true. We all know this. You know this as well as I do. We don't say it a lot, but we all know it's true. You know, they say behind every great man is a great woman. But we all know that it's really true. Like, if you meet the Rav of Ashul and then you meet his wife, it makes much more sense. You know what I'm talking about? Like, he's great. He's great. Without her, he, he's, he's a zero. He's a zero. And you know how I know this? Because... Sometimes I knew those guys when they were 20 and 21 and 22 years old, and I saw those guys in the dorms. I was with those guys in the dorms. And I promise you, I used to ask myself the question, how is this chevra of protoplasm? Like, that's what we basically were, just like walking protoplasm. How are we going to adult? I, I used to ask myself this question, so I would see the crazy things that would happen in the dorms. A chavr of mine, I'm not going to tell you who he, who he is, and he's a very chashav tamachachim today, but a chavr of mine, when we were in yeshiva, somehow procured a very expensive bubble machine. <laughs> a bubble machine is like, you know, like you blow bubbles? So it does that to the tune of hundreds of bubbles a minute. And he turned it on, and he left the dorms, and he went to Seder. And the windows of our dorms were open, and the, the Av Bayit of our yeshiva got a phone call from the person who ran maintenance who was looking on his computer screen because all of a sudden, out, out of the windows, because the windows were open, it was a very nice spring day, there's thousands of bubbles blowing out the windows of our apartment. And the Av Bayit comes running into the basement and he comes running over to this guy who today is a very chash of Tam He goes, what is going on in your dorms? The guy goes, we know what's going on in the dorms. He goes, there's bubbles coming out everywhere. 
So we ran back to the dorm. Our entire dorm was full of bubbles, like thousands and thousands of bubbles everywhere. And I was like, you left the bubble machine on? He goes, yeah, I thought I didn't let this. If, if I would tell you his name today, you would all go, there's no way. He bought a bubble machine. This was like a serious thought that he had. I can't tell how many B'nai Tari, how many real Tamidei Chachamim were morons. There's no other nice way of saying it. They were Pasha morons. And when we were dating, I want you to know that we had kashas on people like you. Why in the world would you marry us? Because we couldn't understand for the life of us why anyone here would be able to get married. And slowly but surely, everyone paired off. And the people that I grew up with today are chashavatamidechachamim, <coughs> of shuls and communities and yeshivas. And when you meet, it's like, I'll say myself, I cannot tell you how many boys in yeshiva come over to me with an embarrassed look on their face. They ran into a chaver of mine from back in the day and they go, Rebbe, I have regards for you from Aaron. Aaron is one of many names, but it's specifically always Aaron. And I have regards, because he lives here in Eretz I have regards for him from Aaron. I was in Modian for Shabbos. I said, yeah. I said, did he call me by my English name? You know, because they get that, like, embarrassed look on their face. They go, yeah, he did. He sends regards to your English name. So it's okay. It's not Voldemort. You know, like, uh, I grew up as Matt Berg. So like, it's like, oh, you have Matt Berg as a Rebbe. And then he always tells them the same two stories that are, like, very veiled, inappropriate things that happened when I was 16 years old. And, and they, they don't know. They're like, I'm supposed to say Egyptian rat screw. And I'm like, oh, okay, say there. thank you very much for reminding me of that time when I was 16 years old. Yeah, some people get a gishmat from saying these things. We know that what happened. We know that these young men got married and we're educated in a home of this is what it looks like to be a human being. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's something that we see that a boy, when he gets married, there's a change that a woman brings to him. It's not like an academic thing. My, I had an opportunity to speak with my wife today. Not with my wife. I speak to my wife in general. <laughs> my wife and I had a speaking engagement today together, and one of the women asked the question, what happens if your husband, I don't know if this will be no gay to anybody in the room, what happens if your husband doesn't necessarily have the same level of sophisticated emotional language that you have? It's probably not no gay to any of you. But your husbands, I'm sure, all have very sophisticated language of validation and empathy and holding space. And I'm sure all of you are wonderful. This particular woman had this issue. So my wife was like, look, sometimes men need to be taught what it looks like to, like, to be a human being in a conversation with a female. And I'm looking in there like, and I'm the only man in the room, I'm like, <laughs> I don't take offense to this. <laughs> no, but I don't, because I remember like in the beginning of my marriage, also trying to fix it and trying to do all the things that everybody does. There's an essence, there's a kedusha of a tyra that comes from something a woman brings to a home. You know, your, your husband could, could say over all the tyra in the world, but if you think your kids aren't paying attention, to the way that you light Shabbos candles, if I'm being honest with you, in a certain way, your bracha on your Shabbos candles, with or with, meaning with that bracha, without that bracha, the nafkamina in the home is massive. It is, the simple shot of the Gemara is, the father didn't make a bracha first. The father made his brachas. I'm telling you that there wasn't a sviva in the home of berchel batarah It's not the husband who's a tamachachim didn't make a bracha. It's, there's not a sviva, there's not an environment in the home of making a bracha first. You know, the Mishnah Alva says that if you forget a piece of Torah, it's a capital crime. You're liable to punishment by death for that. Who amongst us hasn't forgotten a piece of Torah? You ever do that thing where you snap? You're like, oh, you know, like, you know, like trying to remember something? I think I once remembered something I heard like, right? You're misgaiv menafsho? That's punishable by death? 
It's not what the Mishnah means. It means that there's such a thing called Torah that you're connected to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who's Chai Yechayim. He's the source of all life. How, if a person is connected to Chai Yechayim, they don't forget. I heard, um, I heard from Rabbi Simon Jacobson. You know who Rabbi Simon Jacobson is? It's Rabbi YY's brother. Before Rabbi YY Jacobson was famous, Rabbi Simon Jacobson was famous. For the older crowd in the room, Rabbi Simon Jacobson was the original. He was the very cool one first. Rabbi Simon Jacobson and his brother Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson had very choshava positions. They were called choizrim for the Lubavitcher Rebbe. What did that mean? The Rebbe used to speak over Shabbos sometimes eight, nine, ten hours. Of course, they wanted to write that. In Lubavitch, they write down everything. If the Rebbe coughed, they write it down. Mamish write down every single word. What songs the Rebbe said to sing first, it's a beautiful thing. They write down everything. That's why you have so many volumes of Torah. There's more volumes of Torah from the Lubavitch Rebbe than there is from any Gadol in the last 500 years. They wrote down every single thing that he said. Maybe longer than that, even. How do you write down what somebody said for eight hours? Especially if you've gone on YouTube and watched the Rebbe's video. You ever watched the Rebbe's videos? Everyone, you're like, everyone's gone to it. What's YouTube for if it's not for the Rebbe's videos? We all know it. Wherever we go from there is a different question. But we start off at that gem. Let's see where it takes us. The Rebbe didn't speak in a normal way. You ever hear the Rebbe? He spoke like the words fell out of his mouth, like a waterfall. Like it wasn't a normal way of speaking. It's not, no human being would ever speak that way. It just like falls out of his mouth. In fact, Rosalovechik said, he says, I, I consider myself a good teacher, but I can never do what the Rebbe does. He speaks for hours at a time with no papers in front of him, with no notes, not because he printed the wrong ones. He just probably, like, he didn't, he didn't have it. And he just said. And they would, there was this group of 10, 15 young men, and they would listen to what the Rebbe said, and then after Shabbos, they would stay up all Matzei Shabbos, and they would write everything that he said over. The Rebbe would check it on Sunday, make the corrections. They would write it up again Sunday night. It would get, it would get printed on Monday. The Chazar Shir was Tuesday. Rabbi Al-Kanzer, would give the Chazar Shir. So Simon Jacobson said an unbelievable thing. How do you memorize eight hours worth of material? How many of us are so tired in our life that even to memorize 45 minutes of material, we'll be like, I don't have Kayach to do it. I got up at 5.45 this morning. I barely know what I'm talking about right now. To repeat what I said tomorrow, I don't even remember what I said half the time. How could they, how could they know it eight, ten hours? So you'll say they were geniuses. They had autodidactic memories. They were able to... It's not true. Simon Jacobson said it was a din in anivos. It was total humility. They humbled themselves before the words, and therefore they just naturally were connected to it, and they were able to repeat it over. It's like... Um, anyone here a therapist? Anyone else here a therapist? You be a speech therapist too. Okay, physical therapist, occupational therapist. Is anyone here an aqua therapist or a lifeguard? Whatever we, I'm saying, everyone has their own. So you have to take notes for your clients. So when you do it, you're writing notes while they're talking. Right, so because it's not so nice, right? Nobody wants to be sitting there like, yeah. So how do you remember what they said? Right. It's not a din. It's not a din in genius. If you really care about somebody, it's. I don't know if I could do it ten hours later. I don't know if I could do it at the end of the Shabbos, but if you really care, the flow of the conversation doesn't take you so long to write up. Ten minutes? Not even. Because but you were present when they were really talking. It's a hard thing to do. This is what the Rabban is saying. Are you present with my Torah? Are you connected? Have you humbled yourself with... Not ala Torah, bit Torah. Do you see that Torah itself is your source? Brecha, Baruch, from Allah's source. Torah yourself, itself your source. This is what we're looking at.
the, you know, the, the challenges of Shavuos, and, and for sure the physical challenge of Shavuos, of not having a place to go, and your husband needing quiet, and we should make some sort of like gemach. A couple of husbands should stay with a couple of other husbands in a, in a high floor apartment, and we'll like have like a little gun, and like we'll put out like pastries and cheesecake for the women, and they can either of it could be a very nice time, like we'll make like a very nice thing. That, that's not the problem. That's a problem, and it's not the problem. The problem is we feel so disconnected from it, and it's like, wait a second, it's not about staying up all night. That's an expression of our avas that we stay up all night. And the truth of the matter is that everybody knows that the learning that you do at night is not so gishmak, because at 4 o'clock in the morning, who's learning well? And the davening is certainly not gishmak, and half the place, lefachot, is asleep during rus. And yeah, sometimes you wonder, is this like a smart minig? And then you remember, ava mitakel sasashura, because we're so in love with HaKadosh Baruch we do strange things. But, and, then, and then you have women who are like, but I don't feel connected to it. But it's, it's not about, like, how much Torah did you learn? Of course that's important. That's why when Mrs. Lubak came to me, I guess it's a year ago now, and said, like, how can we get more Torah in our community? I said, I- I'm in. Whatever we have to do to help, to help women learn more, of course, we, can, we have to be a part of them. We have to do our best. But it's not about the, the quantity of Torah that you learn. It's about, is this your brecha? Is this your source? Is it, is it alive in your home? And that's not something you could leave up to your husband's. Because if your husband goes out to Night Seder, like, what, your kids don't see that. Like, they see it, but they don't see it. They don't know what Tati really did when he went out for Night Seder. They know he went out, how much time he spent learning. How he's, like, he's out, and it's, good, and it's good for husbands to be out. Let him go. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's, that's, that's something that's, that's in the home. That's not something like, I could come home and say, and I prepared the Torah for my Shabbos meal. I'll tell you the truth, in my house, I wish I could tell you that in my house, the, the Torah were on fire my kids cannot pay attention to me for two seconds flat. We have girls that come for Shabbos, and they like tell my daughters, like, are you crazy? You're talking in the middle of your father's Torah. Do you know that we paid, like they pay their seminary, like, like a tzedakah thing, like who could earn the right to go to the Berg's house for Shabbos? And, like, and you're talking, and my kids are like, he's just Abba to us. My kids are not paying attention. I have one daughter who says Abba, short and sweet. <laughs> it's like, she's, she's a very good girl. She's, she's much firmer than her father. But she doesn't want me to go on one of these like 20-step divrei Torah where like everything connects to every other thing. She's like, I want that there should be Torah at the Shabbos table. What does she really want? She wants to sing. She wants to sing. That's a berchu Torah experience. That's not something that, that, that a woman is disconnected from. Other Abba, in many ways... That's more on a woman than it is on a man because you know that your husbands are going to stay over a sophisticated Torah. They were in Rav Sobolevsky's share. They heard an idea. They heard something from Rav Weinberger. They're excited about it. You know, I read something in the Lost Princess. Whatever, whatever thing that they have. Oh, I quoted Lost Princess. Yeah, I'm saying, like the. Uh, I'm saying like there's a there's a, there's there's ideas here that I think are deeper. I just want to finish with this. This is what the Shulchan Aruch means. We have to be very careful. To be very, very, very careful with Birch Satara. What does that mean we have to be very careful with it? It means when we make a Birch Satara, it has to be something that permeates our lives, that permeates our homes. It's not just something we like rattle off of our mouths. Like, yeah, I made a Birch Satara. Stop in the morning and you make last like B'divrei Tara. I'm going to be Isaac in this. Isaac in it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm learning it for 24 hours a day. It means when I'm in it, I'm Isaac in it. You know, like you want your husbands to not be on their phones while they're talking to you? They want you to be Isaac. It's something that it's like, it's alive in our lives. It's a feeling, like the Mishnah Bureau says, I'm happy. I was chosen. This is a big deal. Rafutner said, 
it used to be there's Asher Bachar Banavi Kalamim and Nasal Nanu Estaraso. So he said, it used to be that Nasal Nanu Estaraso was really, really hard. To keep the Torah, to keep the mitzvos was very, very hard. But every Jew knew Asher Bachar Banu. He asked a Jew who wasn't religious back in the day, are you a Jew? They said, we need him proudly. Today, we can keep all the halacha in the world. But if you ask a kid, Asher Bachar Banu, you say, you're a chosen nation. You know what a kid says today? This is a disease. This is a gullus disease. A kid says, why, what makes me chosen? Why am I better, any better than anybody else? And Mamish think in our generation we have to teach kids this is a crazy thing, Jewish pride. That's a real thing that we have to teach kids today. I never in my life thought Jewish pride would be something that I have to give a shear about. But yeah, it's in Yeshiva, good boys. I'm like, are you proud to be Jewish? What do you mean proud? What, what, do you, what exactly do you mean by that? I mean, every heritage in the world is walking around the world today. Everybody's like taking on names tri- from their tribal ancestors, even though they grew up in the Bronx. Everybody's like the tribal ancestors. What do you mean? I'm proudly. Th- but it, but a year is like no, but I have an English name and I don't know if I should wear my yarmulke and I don't wear my tzitzis. Like Bar Hashem, at least here in Eretz Yisrael, there's still a notion of some of, of of a greater sense of pride. But in 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 America, for sure, we're seeing a lot of kids lose these things. It's something we have to reinstill in our homes. It's something we have to reinvigorate in our lives. You know, we say uh, in Dayenu that if Hakadosh Baruch Hu had only brought us Tarasinai Dayenu, I. But what about the giving of the Torah? coming close is worthy of a dayenu. Even if we never got the Torah, just being close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, dayenu. We should be zaycha to say a dayenu in our lives. We should be zaycha to say we receive the Torah, but not only we receive the Torah, but we feel close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu in our lives. And if you're exhausted, and if you're like falling asleep right now as I'm speaking, and you're barely making it over the course of a day, because the kids are running you crazy, and you're working, and you're dealing with a million things, and you feel like I don't have anything left, I want you to know that the two seconds that you take to care, to close your eyes, to daven, your kids will see it. And it'll be a berchu batayra tchila experience. And I bless all of us, this, this Matan Torah, we should be zaycha to have homes where there's kirvas elokim litov. Have a wonderful yontif. Please. Because it's part of our consciousness. Yeah. I never answered yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. No, so that's something that sticks in it all the time. Is that, like, throughout your day, like, that is our tour. Like, whatever we're doing during the day. Right. Like, that's, like, part of the Yeah. Your Torah could be a million things. Is a. It's Chasidish Amaisa of a Chasid who came to his Rebbe for Yom Kippur. And, you know, it's like one of these real Hasidic Shemaisa, so like the wagon broke down a million times, and <laughs> until he got there, it was Mamish, the last second before Yom Kippur, he barely had time to do anything, and he's, he comes in grimy into the base magician, and the Rebbe's wishing everybody a, you know, a Gemar Chasim and um, and he gets to the Rebbe, and the Rebbe pulls him in close. And what does that mean, the Rebbe pulls you in close, that's like a big deal, right, the Rebbe's going to tell you something, he pulls him in close, and he says to him, there's a widow out in the forest who's sick and she's elderly and she needs somebody to take care of her and she needs somebody to mamish, chop wood. It's like Nafasha. You have to chop wood and you have to cook and you have to feed her and if you need to eat yourself in order to have strength to do it. And the chassid is like so disappointed. He traveled all this way to come to be by his Rebbe and now his Rebbe is sending him to Michal Yontif. He's not going to be by his Rebbe for Yontif. But if the Rebbe said, what's he going to do? The Rebbe gezakt. 
So he goes and he all Yom Kippur he's he eats whatever he has to eat. Of course, only Shirim, smallest amount, but he feeds her and he's cooking, he's doing everything he can to save this woman's life. And finally he gets her to a place where she's like, you know, it's like sleeping and she's good and she's healthy and she's taken care of. And he looks up in the sky and he says, I think I can make it back for Nila. And he's running through the forest and he's trying to make it back to his Rebbe. And he gets there just as Nila finishes. He missed a Gansa Yom Kippur by his Rebbe. And he is so disappointed. But at least he could stand online and wish his Rebbe a good yar. So he's waiting online, he's waiting online. And finally he gets to the Rebbe and the Rebbe is shaking every person's hand. And he gets this Chassid and the Rebbe pulls him in close again. And everyone wants, like, everyone's like trying to crowd in to hear what the Rebbe, what's the Rebbe going to say. And the Rebbe whispers in his ear, Beryl, good gedavent. Gedavent well. Beryl didn't say a word of davening. He davened well. He davened when he was chopping wood. He davened when he was feeding her. He davened when he was eating himself. It's all bebechinas davening. Our Torah could be, you're right, in a million different ways. Our Torah could be changing diapers. It could be speaking nicely to our children. It could be speaking nicely to our husbands. It could be the self-care of taking care of ourselves so that we can be a mensch to take care of these children. This is all Bebechinas Torah. It's all, it's all Bebechinas Torah. It's, it, it's, it's when we're at work. It's everything that we do is part of this lifestyle that we have that's a Torah-centric lifestyle. It's a beautiful idea that you're saying. Okay. the final awkward moments of this year. <laughs> okay. We used to do questions. We're not doing any more questions. We're done. Anybody have questions? Anybody have questions? Not awkward enough. Okay.